I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I put a title here on the board, and this goes along with everything that I have been teaching on in the last several weeks. Preachers of the 21st century are like the Pharisees of the 1st century. They, are, they take the Word of God and put their opinions to it. They add what they want to be in the Bible according to whatever is convenient for their lifestyle. That includes the Charismatics, the Baptists, the Church of Christ, the Roman Catholics. All of them are not telling the truth. They have added to the Word of God. The Bible says when you add to the Word of God or take away from it, what will happen, God will add to you in the book of life the same thing or take away from you. I've been talking to you about the Pharisees' doctrine. And I'm going to tell you some more about it. The Pharisees' doctrine came from Babylon. They were Pharisees during the days of Jesus. And the Bible says in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, they loved to be called rabbi, rabbi. That was a favorite title. Rabbi means master or teacher. Well, that that word comes from 600 years before the time of Jesus in the first century. First century. That came from the Babylonian synagogue. When you see Babylonian or you see synagogue, it started in Babylon. The reason it was in Babylon was because the Jews were a nation under kings from around 1096 B.C. until 586 B.C. And their first king was Saul, and he was the wrong king from the wrong tribe. That's because the people said, we want a king to root over us. That's a man. And God says to Samuel, he says, Samuel, you tell Israel. Samuel was God's prophet at that time. They didn't want Samuel's two evil sons prophesying over them. So they said, we want a king. So God picks out King Saul, and he's from the wrong tribe to be king. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. You can read about that in the ninth chapter, ninth chapter of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. And he picked out Saul, who is of the tribe of Benjamin. And Benjamin is the twelfth son of of twelfth son of 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 Jacob, twelfth son. The king has to come out of Judah. So God did that on purpose, just because the people are saying we want a king in First Samuel, the eighth chapter. So God picks out Saul of the tribe of Benjamin. But the king has to come out of Judah according to the, the, the 49th chapter of Genesis. 
that the scepter will not depart from Judah. A scepter was a ruling staff. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Shiloh is a form of Shalom. It's talking about Christ. Until Shalom comes, and the scepter will always be with Judah. So when Saul was disobeying God, from the actually from the 11th, I usually say from the 13th, but the 11th was the first time he took on another king, and he was trying to fight Nakash, C-H-A-S-H. And when he, from the 11th chapter to the 15th chapter, Saul was completely rebellious because he had the wrong heart. So by the time in the 15th chapter where Saul refuses to go down and to destroy Amalek, and he, Samuel tells him, you go to Amalek, utterly destroy the Amalekites. Why was that? Because when they came out of the Sinai Peninsula, they were wandering in that for 40 years. The first people that attacked them was the, was the people of Amalek. Unprovoked. They were unprovoked. So when, they, when you get over here into Israel, and they're going to come up here and go into Israel, this is 200 years later. Saul is king. Saul is king. And God tells Samuel, you tell Saul to go down and utterly destroy all the Amalekites, the people of Amalek. They provoke my people and kill every man, woman, child, every baby, every goat, every sheep, kill everything in Amalek. You say, Jim, why would God do that? Well, you see, the reason he did that was because nobody else in the world was practicing the the dietary laws of the Jews. They weren't practicing the separation of quarantining certain things. No one was practicing these things to keep disease out of Israel. So the reason he would kill off everybody was so that Saul would not bring disease back into Israel. Nobody followed those laws except Israel. Now, So I'm talking about Israel, and God tells Israel, while they're coming out of the wilderness, if you go after any other gods when you get into Israel, I gave that land to Abraham in the ancient world, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. And if you go in there and you don't follow me, I'm going to send the four judgments, the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. Pestilence is disease. I really believe that the coronavirus is a disease that was sent by God. Now, if you don't think it's here, then what you're saying is all these people that are dying are not dying, or they're dying of something else. I don't believe that. I believe that the disease comes from God because he said, I will bring pestilence. Well, the reason... He's bringing pestilence is because the preachers of the 21st century 
have added to the word of God and added their opinions. In Deuteronomy 28, he says, I'll send these four judgments. I will send disease when you do not walk according to my word. And how can the church walk according to the truth of God when the preachers are not telling the truth? The Baptists aren't telling the truth. They have added to the word of God. The amazing thing about the Southern Baptist Convention, they had a meeting and they were going to decide whether at one of the conferences, whether accept Christ and sinner's prayer was true for salvation. And they voted that it was regardless of what the Bible says. That astounds me because the Bible says this is the same thing the Pharisees did. The Bible says the natural man, natural man does not receive spiritual things. Receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. The Spirit is truth. Natural, P-S-U-C-H-I-K-O-S, means the physical man. The man of senses, this fleshly man that can see, see, hear, taste, touch, feel, smell. This man does not receive spiritual things. Receive is the word decomai. Receive is D-E-C-H-O-M-A-I. Decomai. This is just like the Pharisees did in the first century. They've changed this and that word receive comes from deck. And deck is the word ten in the Greek. A decade is the reason I say decade, so you'll understand, has to do with ten. Decade is ten years. And decalog comes from two words. Deck. And Logos. Logos is the word word. Deck is ten. It means the ten words of God, which are the ten commandments. Well, the natural man does not accept. It means to reach out the ten fingers. Dekomai means to reach out the ten fingers and accept an offer that's been presented. The Bible says dead man... They can't make living decisions. They cannot accept anything spiritual. Because the Bible goes on to say that only the spiritual man can accept spiritual things. So they preach in these churches, you've got to walk down the aisle and accept Christ as your personal Savior. Well, you can't do that when you're dead. And they preach also. They preach a sinner's prayer for salvation. You talk about something that upset my world when I was a kid. It was those two things, accept Christ and sinner's prayer. Because as a kid, my father started preaching when I was 10 years old. Went to a Baptist church, started preaching. Put up tents around North Texas and had these little groups of crowds come in. And he would say, if you don't know tonight, this may be your last chance to accept Christ. I walked the aisle over and over again, trying to accept Christ. And I would say, how do you do that? I don't know how to do that. 
I was trying to figure out how to accept Christ. Is it a motion you make, or is it a, uh, do you grunt or something to accept Christ? Or I couldn't figure out how to do it. And then the Baptist preached the sinner's prayer for salvation. This is exactly what the Pharisees did. They added to the Word of God. So, I could not figure out how to accept Christ. I kept walking the aisle. I remember as a little kid, I would say, maybe I could take a songbook down to Daddy and hand it to him and say, would you hand that back to me and I'll pretend I'm accepting Christ. And that wasn't it. I didn't know the fact that I was seeking Christ as a little boy. I was already a believer. So he starts telling me when I'm 10 years old, I have to accept Christ. He told me I had to say a sinner's prayer. And that's not true. They get that from several places. They get that from Romans 10.13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He would quote that every service. All the Baptist preachers I ever heard would quote that every service. And then he never quoted verse 14. I never heard a Baptist preacher quote verse 14 after they would say, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, that's true, but when will you call? After he birthed you by his will. The next verse, Romans ten fourteen, says, How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are you going to pray to a God you do not believe in? You won't. And they always go back to that man they always go back to the publican and the Pharisee where the publican smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. They say, see, there's the sinner's prayer for salvation. No, it's not. He had to be believing before he could say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. According to verse 14, he had to be believing. How are you going to pray to a God you don't believe in? That's insane. And they say, well, and the blind man said in John 9, 31, the Pharisees come, Jesus heals a man that was born blind. And he heals him on the Sabbath day. That's one of the laws of the Pharisees. You can't do any work on the Sabbath day. And they said healing was a work. So they're condemning Jesus and they go to the man's parents. Say, who healed your son? And they look at the Pharisees and say, he's a grown man, why don't you ask him? So they go over to the son say, who healed you? And he said, he did, and he pointed to Jesus. And they said, well, he was a sinner. And the man said these words, We know that God heareth not sinners. If any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. The man that was healed said, God only hears people who are worshiping him and and they are spiritual men. That's all that God hears. When Paul said over there in... It, when he was preaching 
over there at Ephesus and the man and Paul was in jail excuse me at Philippi in Acts 16th chapter and the man come up to him said what must I do to be saved Paul said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved he said belief was the method of salvation that's the same thing as faith believe is the word P-I-S-T-E-U-O and faith is the word that's believe you say Jim you say this a lot that's because this has been added to the word of God just like Pharisees and faith is the same basic word faith believe is the verb faith is the noun P-I-S-T-I-S is the word faith. See that word P-I-S-T? That's called the stem of a word. That's the very meaning of the word. And the word endings are changed depending on some character of the word, whether it's a noun or, or pronoun, or whether it's a noun or a verb, or what tense it is, masculine, feminine, neuter, gender. So, so it is belief or faith, but faith is something that God has to put in the heart of all of his elect family. You can't conjure up faith. Faith is the gift of God. Gift in Ephesians 2.8 is the word doron. And doron means that it is a sacrifice. Well, you cannot sacrifice yourself when you're dead in sin. He's got to put faith in your heart and try to add these words. That's Pharisee stuff. And these preachers that add, most of these preachers are free will people and they hate predestination. Most That's what most of them are. And they beg people down the aisle. One of the most famous Southern Baptist preachers was a man named Adrian Rogers. He pastored Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, the second largest church in the Southern Baptist Convention. The largest is First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. Well, Adrian Rogers has got a message on the internet. Did God predestinate some people to heaven and others to hell? Absolutely not, he said. Adrian Rogers did not believe God. And I don't didn't like Adrian Rogers. He said some stupid things. He's dead now. I bet he believes God's predestination now. Now, what I'm trying to do is let you know the same thing that was going on with the Pharisees was going on in the days of Noah. Days of Noah. The Bible says what went on in the days of Noah in Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man or the end of time. And I believe we're not far from the end of time. The end of time. They'll be eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. That means giving marriage, ek gemas, means to marry outside out of truth. It actually means to marry truth with a lie. That's what the Baptists are doing with accept Christ and sinners' prayer for salvation. 
they've married truth to lie, and they've just ignored saved by grace through faith. Even if they quote Ephesians 2.8, they never explain it. So what was happening in the days of Jesus, the Pharisees were adding to the Word of God, putting their opinion on it. The same thing was happening in the days of Noah, and it's going to be happening at the end of time. Truth will be marrying a lie. What they do is they take the sinner's prayer and they cause it to precede faith. Sinner's prayer. And it comes before faith. Nothing precedes faith in the life of the believer. And that has to, God has to put that in a man's heart. And this accept Christ, they take, will you accept the things of God? Will you reach out the ten fingers and accept the things of God? Not till after you're born again. Besides that, you cannot accept Christ. The Bible says in the 12th chapter of Hebrews that he that God scourges every son he receives. He has to decomai. He has to accept you. We don't accept him. He accepts us. He picks out who his elect family will be and he accepts us and he scourges every one of us if he, if you're not being scourged by God, if you're not getting the scourge and chastised, then you are bastards and not son of mine, he says. You are a bastard, no son. If he, if he doesn't chastise you and he doesn't scourge, the scourge was a bloody beating. It was a whip. Jesus received the scourge and it was not just a spanking with a switch. That's not what the scourge was. Let me erase some of this. What Jesus was beaten with was a scourge. Let me erase some of this. And the scourge was a leather whip little short leather whip had pieces of glass and bone entwined in it and they would beat a man and God says the reason I beat you with the scourge is so you can be a partaker of my holiness Hagiasmos H-A-G-I-A-S M-O-S Hagiasmos is the word Holiness, it's a form of the word hagiazo, H-A-G-I-A-Z-O. Hagiazo. Hagiazo is the word sanctify. Or it's also the word hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. What God has to do is destroy our name and perform His name in us. The word name is the word onoma. Onoma means God's authority. He has to cause us to hallow His authority, and His authority is His word in us. It's the word of God. So, it, And it comes from the word holy, hagios. When the Bible says, Be ye holy, there in First Peter, as I am holy, if you're holy, 
Holy means single or pure. Single. Well, he, God speaks of double-minded men and the men who can't see correctly because they have double vision and we can't see. He has to burn out that old man in us and he beats us with a scourge and a scourge is evil men. David said, Deliver me from the wicked which is thy sword, O Lord. Now, I want to go back into the Pharisees. They're, they're just like the Pharisees were this day and time. The Baptists, I know what the Baptists are like. I was ordained in a Southern Baptist church, and I traveled in Baptist churches all over America, and I never ran into any preacher that knew much about the Bible. Never ran into one. I knew a lot. I knew hundreds of them. I heard him preach this, God accept Christ as your Savior tonight. That's the only answer to salvation. No, it's not. It's daily cross, death to self, self-denial, and that's what faith is. Now, I've got, let me kind of go over it to you one more time. What put these Pharisees? The Pharisees, The Bible says they love to be called Rabbi, Rabbi. That comes out of Babylon. When they were carried away into captivity, this was the beast that carried them away. The beast did not carry them away just to punish them and not have any salvation for them. God says, though I visit your transgression with a rod, I'm not going to forsake you. So he says, you've got to go over to Babylon to Babylon and you'll have to be there they had they had never kept their sabbatical years one of the main reasons they went after Baal and the grove Baal and the grove was fertility gods and Shemash and Molech and all the gods of Egypt of Egypt, Osiris and Isis, and the list goes on and on. They went after them. They went after the gods of Syria, Rimmon, and all the rest, R-I-M-M-O-N. And if you look at the Ezra, Ezra the ninth chapter, you'll see them going after all the gods of the Amorites, all the gods of the Hittites. How in the world could they do this after God brought them out of Egypt? They were in Egypt 400 years. And he brought them out of Egypt and they had to go through 40 years in the wilderness. And then they went through about 375 to 400 years under judges. We don't know exactly how long. And then they become a nation in First Samuel. And then they get a king in the 8th chapter, in the ninth chapter, actually. They complain against God in the 8th chapter. And then they go, and all the time they were under kings, especially from 1 Kings to Second Chronicles, they're going after these gods. And they just add these gods to their list of gods. 
And God says, I'll send the beast, which was Babylon, then Persia, to overthrow Babylon, then Greece, to overthrow Persia, and then Rome, to subjugate all these other three and put them under Roman rule, which was the beast with iron teeth. Iron teeth. Iron was always equated with Rome. And then when they're in Babylon, southern Judah was carried into Babylon. Southern Judah is the tribe of Benjamin and Judah. And the tribe of Judah. And they named southern Judah after the tribe of Judah. And that was the two, that was the twelfth son and the fourth son of Jacob. Northern Israel, which had been carried away, was headed up by Ephraim. Ephraim was the second-born son of Joseph when he was in Egypt in the captivity. Second-born of Joseph. And God makes Ephraim the one in Israel who has... Joseph was the eleventh son of Jacob. You can find these sons born in Genesis 20. 9 and 30. You can find their birth. 11 of them were born when Israel was over here in, when they had been, when Jacob, gosh, this goes back to Jacob over here. Jacob had been, uh, Jacob had been, had run away to Babylon or what we call Iraq because his brother Esau was coming after him because Jacob had been so dishonest in stealing his brother Esau's birthright so he runs off to Iraq or to the land of Haran Haran is Iraq Haran is Babylon and you'll find that on their maps I think people should study with maps they should so this is Jacob run off away from his brother and comes over here on the Euphrates River and that's where he meets Leah and Rachel. They are daughters of his mother's cousin, Laban. They're daughters of Laban. And Jacob goes over there, sees Rachel and she is drop-dead gorgeous. Falls in love with her. I want her! And he asked Laban, what do I have to do to get Rachel? Well, he says, you've got to work seven years for her. So he works seven years, and after he works seven years, he goes into Laban and says, I want my wife. You said she'd be mine in seven years. So that night, what he thinks is Rachel comes into his tent. It's dark. The tents aren't lit up. And he has an intimate sexual affair with a woman that was sent in. And it was Leah. And boy, he has been out of shape. I love Rachel. What do I have to do to get Rachel? Seven more years. He said, I'll do anything for her. She was kind of dishonest, as Rachel was. Leah was gentle as a little lamb. She probably didn't have the beauty of her sister, but she was a sweeter lady. And she had the first four sons of Jacob. 
She had Reuben, Simeon, and the third son was Levi, and then Judah. The king would come out of Judah. The priesthood would come out of Levi. So that was Leah's first ones to have. I need to get back to the Pharisees. So when Israel kept going after all these gods over here, they were scattered into Babylon. And they said, we need, we need some teachings over here in Babylon. And they were Jews, so they said, what would be better than to bring the Word of God over to Babylon? But we'll have to translate it into the Babylonian Aramaic. And this is the very reason they said this has to be explained to what it needs. So they translated they translated the what was called the uh, Torah. First by five books of the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Numbers, Deuteronomy. Translated all that, and they said these were 613 laws. And since they were translating from Hebrew to Aramaic, they said, we as the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue, they started a worship in Babylon that they called synagogue. Synagogue is not something righteous, it's something evil. It opposes the word of God. So, they said, we've got to explain it, and they came up with, here's what they come up with, a head rabbi. He would be more or less an antithesis or something that lay opposite to the, to the Levites, particularly the high priest. The high priest in Israel, so they had to have a head rabbi in Babylon. And this head rabbi would take his opinion of these 613 laws. By the way, they called that translation the Targum. They said, since Israel, people in Israel don't know the Aramaic of Babylon, we've got to have somebody to explain these laws. So they came up with something called a methurgeman, M-E-T-H-U-R-G-E-M-A-N. The methurgeman would explain this translation. And what they came up with was two particular laws. The halakha, which was a spoken law. And this halakha could not be written down. It had to be spoken only. What's so bad about that? Well, the rabbi that was head of the Babylonian synagogue, he could add his opinion to what these 613 laws meant. So he could add his opinion, and every time a head rabbi would die of the Babylonian synagogue, a new head rabbi would be set into play there. And if this new rabbi was real liberal and he wanted to twist the words, he put his opinion into this traditionary law. This is not the law that was written that was written in 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It was an opinion of the rabbis. And they added their opinions to what each one of these meant. Their halakha could not be written down. And in a 600-year period till the time of Christ, these rabbis came back to Israel and called themselves Pharisees. Pharisee means one who is separated. They tried to separate their lives, and they didn't like anybody that wasn't a Pharisee, much less the the proselytes of Gentile proselytes that came to Israel. They used them to get money from them. So by the time of Jesus, these rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue They became the Pharisees during the time of Jesus. What Jesus was wrestling with was these guys called Pharisees because they had perverted the Word of God. They had added to it. They even had something called Haggadah. And that Haggadah was a written commentary that they said could not be spoken aloud. Remember, this one was spoken only. That was called a verbal law. And the Pharisees said this verbal law was given to Moses by God's mouth on... uh, This verbal law was given to God, was given to Moses by God, and it was just verbal And that's just not true. Not true. So, by the time of Jesus, everything he says to the Pharisees or about the Pharisees was a correction of this traditionary law. Tradition means it's passed down word of mouth, just like Christmas. Christmas is Christ's Mass, it's Roman Catholicism. And that's been passed down word of mouth, and it's just nothing to do with Jesus. Christmas is Christ's Mass, it's Roman Catholicism, and that's another way that people have added to the Word of God in this 21st century. They made Roman Catholicism a holy day for Jesus' birthday. And December the 25th wasn't the birthday of Jesus. It was the birthday of Mithra, the sun god of Babylon. That's why Pope Julius I gave Christ Mass his pagan name. Everything we're doing in the church is an addition to the Bible, and it's a twisting of the Word of God, just like the Baptists, just like the Charismatics with their tongues. Tongues is gloss and dialectos. Jim, why do you keep putting that on the board? This has to do with the twisting of the Word of God and dialectos. Dialectos, this is the only word tongue in the New Testament Bible in the Greek language. Glossa, we got our word glossary from that. A glossary is a section of a book with words that are foreign to average readers. And when the Bible speaks of tongues, it's either speaking of glossary, a foreign language, or dialectos, dialect. It was a different dialect of the common street language. And every city state, they had a different dialect in Jerusalem as they had up in Samaria, northern Israel. They have a different dialect than they had over here in Babylon 
when the Jews were carried into Babylon. So they came up and said, we have to... Everything that Jesus said was a correction to these Pharisees who had been the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue. That word tradition, every time you find it mentioned by Jesus, it's the word paradosis. Paradosis means the traditionary. Law of Moses. Law of Moses. That is a false law because that's saying the verbal law was given to given by God to Moses on the mount when Jesus went up on Mount Sinai. Uh, Moses went up on Mount Sinai and that was Jesus he talked to. Jesus was the Jehovah of the Old Testament. Now, what I'm trying to do is show you here is something called the Mishnah. I'm going to read some things out of this probably next week. The Mishnah was a development of the Halakha. The Halakha developed. Let me erase some of this here. The Halakha developed into the Mishnah. The Halakha went through changes. They said it could not be written down. And then when you get into the time of Jesus, they had the Mishnah. M-I-S-H-N-A-H. And what the what the Mishnah is, it's the written down halakha. They said it couldn't be written down in the ancient world. Well, the halakha and the Haggadah evolved through some evolutionary processes. It became the midrash, and then later on it was formed into the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is evidently where God changed his mind and said the Halakha could be written down and the Halakha could be spoken aloud. So it was written in the Mishnah. This is a copy of the Mishnah right here. And what I'm going to do is read to you. I made some copies out of certain pages. Well, I'm, I've made copies out of pages in this book, but I probably won't be able to get around to them until uh, next message. And then I've got this set of books, six volume set. Commentary on the New Testament from the Talmud and Hebraic. Mr. Lightfoot, who did this work some long time ago, uh, this was first printed uh, in 1800s, and he wrote this and took words out of nearly everything that Jesus would say to the Pharisees. And And he addressed, you'll find if you get into Matthew 5, Matthew, the fifth chapter, was Jesus' first message. Matthew 5 through chapter 7 was called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was in northern Israel talking to the poor in spirit 
talking to the peacemakers, talking to the meek, talking to all these blessed ones in chapter 5. And then he tells them, Except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, Except your righteousness exceed these righteousness because they've added to the word of God. Everything that Jesus said to these people, the scribes were the top line Pharisees. They were all Pharisees, but these were the doctors of the law. And much of the time they were called lawyers. A lawyer to them was not some guy down here downtown in the life and casualty building or what we call the Batman building with those two spires sticking up in the air. It was not men that were in there practicing law in America. These were men who sat around transcribing the scriptures and adding their opinion into this halak on the Haggadah. And finally it came to a place about 200 A.D. where it was called the Talmud. Talmud is certainly a piece of rubbish and garbage. That's what the writers of McClinic and Strong says, said. It's, a, it's trash because it comes out of these opinion laws. What I want to do is read you some of the things that Mr. Lightfoot says, and I can't read everything. I have studied this one volume till it's falling literally falling apart I've studied it over and over and over and it's just coming to pieces now I want to read you what Mr. Lightfoot says and he tries to deal with all of this halakha of the Pharisees it's the same what they were doing is exactly what the Baptists and the Pentecostals and the Charismatics they don't care what anything means they don't care if tongues means glossa, foreign languages. A glossary is a section of a book with words that are foreign to the average reader. I've said that a thousand times. What I want to do is read you some of these things that they said. This is, I've just made copies of a bunch of the pages out of this book. Now, let me see if I can get into this. It's talking about when Jesus would say in Matthew 5, it hath been said. Said is a word that refers back to the halakha, the verbal, or may I call it the said law, the verbal law. It hath been said. Then he would say, but I say. When he says, but I say, he was saying that the Pharisees that said these things, they're lying. Here's what I said. I was the man that was on the mountain. I'm the God that was on the mountain with Moses. Not anybody but me. What he's saying, I didn't say that. So they go through this whole thing. And they rejected that Jesus was the true Messiah because he abolished the doctrine of the traditions. He said that every day. The paradosis. 
which they obtruded upon the people for Moses and the prophets. The word obtruded means to push or force upon the people. And that's what the preachers are doing today. He meets with this prejudice that he abolished not the law when he abolished the traditions. He didn't abolish the law. He's keeping the law of God. He said, if your law, if your, what you're teaching doesn't go beyond the scribes and the Pharisees, he said, it hath been said by them. It hath been said. And he says, they, he says, one jot, he says this in Matthew 5, one jot or one tittle will not pass from the law until all is fulfilled. A jot was the smallest markings on a, this is, this would be called a resh or an R. The little tittle right here like this. A tittle is a small tit on a number. That would change the resh and to abeth or to obey. One jot, one jot was a yod. Yod is the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It looks like a small apostrophe, just like that. Small apostrophe. That's a jot or yod. That's the smallest letter of Hebrew. This is the smallest marking. Now let me read you something about the jots and tittles. Out of Mr. Lightfoot's commentary on the New Testament from the Talmud and Hebraica. The Jerusalem Gamarist. Gamara is another name for Talmud. G-A-M-E-R. G-E-M-A-R. G-E-M-A-R-A. Gamera was just another name for Talmud. And that's corruption. He says the book, the book of Deuteronomy came and this is their imagination. This is what they would say. They would say a book would become a living being or one of these letters would be a living being. And the book prostrated itself before God and said, O Lord of the universe, thou hast written in me thy law. But now a testament defective in some part is defective at all. Behold, Solomon endeavors to root the letter Yod or Jod out of me. How would he do that? To wit, in this text, Deuteronomy seventeen, seventeen, Thou shalt not multiply wives. Let's look at Deuteronomy 17. Look at that. Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17 and verse 17. 17, 17. All right. Neither shall... He multiplied wives to himself. 
In other words, you won't have more than one wife. That his heart turned not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Then he goes on to say, The Holy One, blessed God, answered Solomon, and a thousand such as he shall perish, but the last, the least word shall not perish of thee. Rabbi Hona, and when he uses rabbis' names, he's talking to the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue who put their approval on the halakha. Rabbi Hona said, in the name of Rabbi Anka, the letter Jod, which God took out of the name of Sarai, our mother was given half to Sarah and half to Abraham. And the tradition of Rabbi Hoshea, the letter Jod came and prostrated itself before God and said, O eternal Lord, thou hast rooted me out of the name of that holy woman. Blessed God answered. Do you actually think God said all these things that's not in the Bible? No. Hitherto thou hast been in the name of the woman, and that in the end. Then it says, The letter Jod saith God, which I took out of the name of Sarah, stood and cried to me for many years, How long will it be ere Joshua arise to whose name I have adopted it? And yet you have an example of the eternal duration of this letter Jod in Deuteronomy 32.18, where the word, it is written even less than itself, yet it stands immortal in that its diminutive state unto the very day, and so shall forever be. One tittle, as Matthew is speaking, Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, one tittle, it seems to note that the little heads of dashes or letters, whereby the difference is made between letters of a form and, and also alike. If it were Dalith, if it were Dalith and a man should have formed the Resh, this is the Dalith. Excuse me, I put the wrong letter. This is the Dalith with a little tittle on it. The D. That would be the Dalith with that little tit on the rash. If it be the daleth, and he turns it to a bee, a baeth, or should have formed rash into the daleth, he's guilty of changing the word of God. Well, they changed the word of God. And why do you think he said one jot or one tittle? Because that's what they did. It is written in Leviticus 22.32. Ye shall not profane my holy name. Whosoever shall change Keth, the C-H, like this. That's the Keth. This is the C-H, C-H-E-T-H. It's actually a C-H. Whoever sings Keth into hay, an H. Here's a hay right here. Look at this. It looks just like a cat, the hay. 
But there's a tittle there that's left out. It's a space between this front leg and the rest right here. Here's what happens when you change. And this is what Jesus is talking about. You can't change one letter in the scripture from another. It hath been said by them. Everything he talked to the Jews about was about their lies about the scripture. Destroys If a man changes the cat into hay, he destroys the world according to the Pharisees. And they did nothing but change the word of God constantly. And it changes it from you shall praise the Lord to you shall not praise the Lord. It is written in Psalms 150 and 6. Let every spirit praise the Lord. Whosoever changeth hay into cat destroys the world. It is written, they lied against the Lord. Whosoever changes baeth, this is a baeth. It's got a little tittle right here. The leg is going up behind. Whoever changes baeth into cough, which is the same thing without the tittle, destroys the world. It is written, 1 Samuel 2 and 2, there is none holy as the Lord. Whoever changes cough, cough into baeth in this verse destroys the world. But they were changing it just like the Baptists today. It is written in Deuteronomy 6 and 4. The Lord our God is one Lord. He that changes daileth into resh. He changes the daileth into an R. He destroys the world. This is the Pharisees telling us what the Bible's about. And Jesus said, I didn't say anything that they're saying. But our Savior said jots and tittles did not only understand the bare letters or the little marks that distinguish them appears sufficiently from verse 19 where it renders it one of the least commands. He calls these jots and tittles. Whoever changes these commandments of God, a jot or a tittle, he has no place in the kingdom of God. Now, let me give you something else he said. All right, let me go over here to... We're talking about these jots and tittles. We're talking about the Pharisees changing. Let me give you something that's really good. Now, here's something. When the Bible says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, what does that mean? Love neighbor. Well, you go over to... This is on page 108 in the commentary on the New Testament from Talmud and Hebraica. This, let me read this to you. The Jewish schools, the Jewish schools, there were two schools of the rabbis. Halil and 
and S H A I M M A I. Shemai was supposed to be the very conservative school. Halil was the liberal school, and they stretched everything more than Shemai. These schools were started in the Old Testament, if you remember, the schools of the rabbis were started by Elisha. Now, that a brother signifies an Israelite by nation or blood. That's what they called a brother. A brother was an a full-blood Israelite. This is a brother. Was a nation or blood? You remember when Jesus said, Who is my brother and sister and mother? Remember he said that in Mark, the third chapter? He said, Those who do the will of my Father That's my mother. You see, when he said that, he was slapping the Pharisees in the mouth. They said a brother was an Israelite by blood or nation. You had to be a full-blood Jew to love your brother. Jesus said, no. My brothers and sisters are those who do the will of the Father. Everything he said was hammering them. All right. Let me go to this other thing. Let me get on with this. You see, studying studying these things about the Pharisees, you got to have the right books. You got to have things like Blightfoot or you got to have a book like this is the Compendia I've talked to you about this. He'll tell you why they said the halakha was just a spoken law. He'll tell you, they'll tell you in this. Oral Torah, that's halakha. Then it says halakha, Mishnah, Tosefta, Talmud, external tractates. I've never heard any preacher even bring this up about the Pharisees. That Jesus was beating them up from day one. You've heard it hath been said by the scribes and the Pharisees. But I say they're liars. That's what he was saying. Not any different than the Baptists today. Not any different than the Pentecostals today. The Pentecostals will say crazy things. One of the crazy... Well, I'll show it to you in a minute. How much time do I have, Mike? Thirty. Thirty. Let me get through this and then maybe I can get into the other thing I was going to tell you about. The Jewish schools do thus distinguish between brother and neighbor. That a brother signifies an Israelite by nation and blood. A neighbor was an Israelite in religion and worship that is a proselyte. But they said they could hate the Gentiles. 
And Jesus said, you can't do that. They said, a neighbor. Was a proselyte. A proselyte was someone who came from another country. To be, they say come from Rome, and they come over here to Israel. They had to leave all of their property at Rome, forsake their job, leave all their family, and come over here and undergo the proselyte process of being circumcised, washed in water, and two turtle doves at the temple. That made them a proselyte or a neighbor. Now Jesus has it out with a with a doctor of the law, with a he has it out with a Pharisee. With a Pharisee which is he was a doctor. He was called a lawyer. That meant he was a scribe. He was the top of the Pharisee line. That's what a scribe was. A scribe was the guy that was interpreting the halakha and adding to it his opinions. Well, that takes us to Luke the twelfth chapter, tenth chapter. Go over to Luke. Luke ten. This is really something. There is a doctor of the law, a scribe, that comes to Jesus. Verse twenty five. And a certain lawyer, scribe, that knew all about the halakha and what he believed about neighbors. He knew exactly what that was. According to his definition, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted Jesus. He wasn't asking him for information. He knew exactly what he believed. Saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, You know what's in the Scriptures. You translate it every day, all day long. What is written in the law? How does it read? You tell me. You know. And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and all thy strength with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself well he's getting into hot with Jesus he's looking to trip Jesus up the living God he's going to trip him up and Jesus said to him thou hast answered right this do and thou shalt live of course that word love is agape And that's walking in the commandments of God. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, This is a total, utter hypocrisy. 
He knew who his neighbor was. He said his neighbor was a proselyte that had come into Israel and been circumcised, washed in water, and offered two turtle doves. Therefore, he had all the rights of all of the rituals and the, of the Pharisees at Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Ingathering. He could eat of the Passover lamb. He says, who is my neighbor? That's like, that's like some mathematician saying, what is the Pythagorean theorem? He knows what it is. He's telling Jesus, you tell me who the neighbor is. So Jesus proceeds to tell him who the neighbor is. And he's not going to like this. And Jesus answering said, a certain man, he's going to tell him the, the parable of the good Samaritan. And all of the Pharisees hated Samaritans with a passion. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Jericho was right above Jerusalem. They called Jericho the Valley of Thieves or the Valley of the Shadow of Death because that was between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea, the top of the Dead Sea, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. This has great meaning than most people that teach the the doctrine of the Good Samaritan. Samaria was called Northern Israel. The Pharisees wouldn't step foot in Northern Israel. There's a reason for that. That's because when Northern Israel was carried captive, when they were carried captive, Israel was divided at this time between southern Judah and northern Israel. When the Pharisees came in from this area up here, when the, not the Pharisees, when the Syrians came in, there, Assyria is between Black Sea and Caspian Sea, this area right here. They came in to carry northern Israel captive. They moved into northern Israel, married a lot of the women in northern Israel, and they brought their mixed religion, their sun worship, and mixed it with Jehovah worship, with Jehovah worship. And the Pharisees said, we won't have anything to do with a mixed religion. A mixed religion. And so they wouldn't step foot into northern Israel. They stayed in southern Judah all the time. The temple was in southern Judah. It was a land of Benjamin, which is in southern Judah. But they wouldn't step foot in there. If they had to go up here to Tyre and Sidon, they didn't mind Tyre and Sidon. They didn't pretend to be believers. If they had to go up there, they'd cross the the river and go up here and go around Samaria. They didn't. They hated Samaria and particularly Nazareth, which was in northern Israel. They said Nazareth was the septic tank of the world. We don't go there, and that's why Jesus told the woman at the well when he was up here in northern Israel. He said, "You worship, you know not what. You got 
sun gods and tree goddesses and Jehovah in your religion up here. But guess what? The Pharisees had, they had the, they had the Old Testament and they had the Halakha twisted out of the Old Testament. They had a worse religion than the people in Samaria had. They hated Samaria. So that's what has to do with this right here. Let's get back to verse 30. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest, a Levite, that way, and when he had saw him, he passed by on the other side. You see, if he goes over and touches this man, he'll be ceremonially unclean. He doesn't know what he is. Remember the original question, who is my neighbor? Jesus is going to show him who his neighbor is. And likewise, a Levite, what he's doing is correcting the Pharisees. He's correcting this scribe, this doctor of the law right here with this story. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the same place, came and looked on him and passed on the other side. They didn't want to touch this man lying in the ditch bloody all over because he'd been robbed. But a certain Samaritan, oh goodness boy, putting him in this story, this this doctor of the law, this lawyer is cringing. What do you mean a Samaritan? But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and saw him and had compassion on him. Oh man, this is galling, this scribe. He hates Samaritans. Having compassion you're kidding me and went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring in oil and wine and set him and set him on his own beast a donkey probably and brought him to an inn and took care of him and on the morrow when he departed he took out two pence, gave them to the innkeeper, the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again I will repay thee. Which now of which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him? that fell among thieves. Notice he's not saying that the man that fell among thieves was neighbor. Which of these three was neighbor to him? The Samaritan, the Levite, or the priest? He's saying the Samaritan was the neighbor. And this doctor of the law hated Samaritans. And this man is grinding his teeth going... Oh, I hate to answer this question. I don't like this question. And he said, He that showed mercy, the Samaritan, I hate that word in my mouth. He said, He that showed him mercy on him 
Then said Jesus unto him, Now go thou and do likewise, just like the Samaritan did, and you hate those people. Who was neighbor? Let me get back to that, what they said about neighbors. This is out of Mr. Mr. Lightfoot's. Then he goes into the author of Haruk and the word, a son of the covenant. The sons of covenant, these are Israel. And when the scripture saith that any man's ox gore the ox of a neighbor, it excludes all the heathen. They're saying, if your ox gore your neighbor's animal, well, you're talking about proselytes and not talking about heathens. No, it's talking about everybody. In that it saith, of his neighbor. And they're saying the neighbor was a proselyte. Therefore it excludes all heathen. When the Bible says love your neighbor, it doesn't mean love the enemy out there. And they hated their enemies. But an Israelite shall kill a stranger inhabitant but not be punished with death because whosoever shall proudly rise up against a neighbor to kill him. In Exodus twenty one fourteen, it is needless to say he shall not be punished with death for killing a heathen. That's what they said in the law call. Boy, they twisted the word of God. Where this is to be noted that heathens and stranger inhabitants who were not admitted to perfect and complete proselytism were not qualified with the title of neighbor. Jesus said, whoever gives you what you want or what you need is your neighbor. It's meeting your need. That's the neighbor. It doesn't mean the guy next door to you that cusses like a blue streak. He's your neighbor if he gives you the truth. But under the gospel, where there is no distinction of nations or tribes, brother is taken in the same latitude as among the Jews, brother and neighbor were. That is, for all professing the gospel and is contradistinguished to the heathen. In 1 Corinthians 4.11, if anyone that is called a brother sin used to separate from him. If thy brother sin against thee, if he hear not the church, let him be as a heathen. Do I have any time, Mike? Fourteen. All right. Let me give you some more out of this out of this book. He goes on to say, here's something that people really mistake in that fifth chapter of Matthew. Raka of the council. The man will be in danger of the council if you call a man Haraka. The council was the Sanhedrin, that is, of judgment or tribunal magistrate. Raka, a word, if you call a man Raka, a word used by one that despiseth another in the highest scorn. But you have to know who's being talked to here. This is Jesus on a mountain. 
in northern Israel. It was in Galilee. A mountain wasn't like what we call a mountain. It was a high hill. And you have to know, here's Jesus. Here's Israel. This is the Mediterranean Sea. Here's the Gaza Strip down here. This is southern Judah. Jesus is somewhere up here, close to Galilee. This is the Sea of Galilee. And out of Galilee comes the River Jordan until it runs down into the Dead Sea down here. Dead Sea. The origin of the Jordan River is the Sea of Galilee. Empties into the Dead Sea. Jesus is somewhere up here. All of the northern region was called Galilee. Because the sea was there. That was also called the Sea of Tiberias. Tiberius was one of the Caesars that followed Augustus. Augustus was a Caesar during Jesus' day. So Jesus is up here on, in Galilee. The Pharisees are down here in the land of Benjamin at the temple. So Jesus is reaching out his hand of authority, slapping the Pharisees in the mouth. On his first message, it had been said, but I say, I'm calling them liars. Now, he's talking about the neighbors. And under the gospel, there is no distinction of nations or tribes. He says, if anyone is called a brother, Matthew 18 and 15, if thy brother sin against thee, if he will not hear thee, separate from him and let him be as a heathen. Then he says, if anyone calls you Raka. Raka means an empty-headed fool. Who is he preaching to up there? He's preaching to the poor in spirit. He's talking to the meek. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that mourn. You're mourning over sin. Blessed are the peacemakers. If they say, if they call you Raka, empty-headed fool, for being poor in spirit, meek, mourning, being peacemakers, they're in danger of God's judgment, not just the Sanhedrin. If they say you're a fool for being meek and poor in spirit and all of this, they're not believers. My mother-in-law used to say, if you call a man a fool, you go to hell. I'd just laugh at her. She was a country woman over from Jordan. She didn't know much. And that's what he says here. When it says this, it's not talking about calling anybody a fool in the world. When he says, 
verse 22 of chapter 5, And I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment of a crime. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rakal, shall be in danger of the council, the Sanhedrin. But whosoever shall say, You're a fool for being poor in spirit. You're a fool for being meek and following Christ. You're a fool for mourning over sin. You're a fool for being a peacemaker. They're in, they're in danger of hell fire. Only a man who doesn't believe in being poor in spirit will say you are a fool. Doesn't mean you call somebody a fool, you're going to go to hell. It means if you say the man is foolish for being poor in spirit before Christ, to being to mourning over his own sin before God, then you're in danger of hell fire because you're not believing the truth. When you believe the truth, you've got to become poor in spirit, emptied out, tokos, P-T-O-C-H-O-S. means emptied out of self, empty of self. Some people don't like people that are humble. They try to take advantage of them. And then he says... A heathen said to Israelite, Very suitable food is made ready for you at my house. What is what is it? said the other, to whom he replied, Swine's flesh, it's ham. Raka saith the Jew, I must not eat of clean beast with you. I don't know why he said that. A king's daughter was married to a certain fellow. He commands her to stand by him as a mean servant, means a medium servant, and to be his butler to, and she said, Rocco, I'm a king's daughter. Rocco was a common saying in that day and time. Now, let me read some about, it's going to take me a long, to get, long time to get through a lot of this. Jesus said, You've heard it hath been said, and he cited not the command of text of Moses as barely delivered by Moses, but as deformed by those of old. They've deformed the truth. That's what the Charismatics and the Baptists are doing. They're deforming God's Word. It's a deform. It's a, it's a twisted word with which a gloss has almost evacuated all force of command, but they interpret it as an act of adultery with that of a married woman. Jesus didn't say, if you look upon a woman, that's married. He said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her heart, and it doesn't matter if she's married or not. Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her, he that looketh upon a woman's heel. Now this is what they said. This is what they said. The Pharisees. He that looketh upon a woman's heel is as if he looked is as if he looked upon her belly. This is written in this in Mr. Lightfoot's commentaries. And he that looketh upon her belly as if he lay with her. It was Rabbi Gamaliel's custom to look upon a woman. This is amazing. It's talking about two rabbis. They would go and look at a woman 
women while they were bathing. He that looks upon the little finger of a woman as if he looked upon her private parts. This is the foolishness of the Pharisees. And Rabbi Gedel and Rabbi Johanan were wont to sit at the place, they were willing to sit at the place of dipping where the women were washed. When they were admonished by some of the danger of lasciviousness, Rabbi Johanan answered, this is one of the rabbis, I am of the seed of Joseph over whom evil affections cannot rule. That's the way some preachers act in this day and time. I can have women coming to my church dressing in those dresses that look like they were painted on their bodies and it don't affect me because I am a godly preacher. It affects all preachers, let me tell you. And he goes on to say, the Jewish lawyers said, if anyone sees a woman which he is delighted with all above his wife, let him dismiss his wife and marry this woman he found out in public. That's why they came to Jesus in the 19th chapter of Matthew and says, should a man divorce his wife for every cause? Because they were doing that. He says that again in this in this book. I've got many more things to say on this. They were perverting God's word, just completely perverting it. Do I have any time? Four. Four minutes. I'm going to come back next week and read some more of this because it's I, I've just got so many things to say. I don't want to get into deep, other deep things. This is amazing to read this book, read these books by Mr. Lightfoot on the commentary. And the, what he's doing is telling us what the Pharisees meant when Jesus corrected them. When Jesus would say, you make the word of God of none effect by your tradition. He said that in Matthew, the 15th chapter. Tradition is the word paradosis. His reference was to the halakha, the traditionary law of Moses. And none effect, none effect is the word akarao, A-K-U-R-O-O. That's the word none effect. It comes from the word kurios, which is the word lord, and he says, when you add your opinions to the Word of God, you've got a traditionary law of Moses. And when you've got a traditionary law, God is not your Lord. The Alpha Privative in front of Kurao translates Akurios, no Lord. God is not governing your life when you add to the Word of God. Do I believe that Kenneth Copeland is a believer? I don't believe he's a believer. There's no repentance, no daily cross, no death to self. He hates the daily cross. Do I believe that Joyce Myers is a believer? No, I don't believe that. Do I believe that Fred Price, who just died a few weeks ago, was a believer? No, I believe he went to hell. I believe those are the ones that will stand in judgment one day and say, 
Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in thy name? And thy name cast out devils. He's going to say, depart from you that work iniquity. I never knew you. I believe the whole church is corrupted with a halakha. The church is preaching halakha today. It's a verbal law that they've added their opinions to, just like the Pharisees. I've never been so tired of preachers in my life. I thought there was something wrong with me when I was a kid, 17, 18, 19, 20. I could see there was something wrong what the preacher was saying, but I didn't know anything about Halakal. I didn't know anything about Haggadah. I didn't know anything about the Pharisees. I've never heard anybody teach on the laws of the Pharisees. Nobody ever. Got all these books. Got the literature of the sages. Fantastic set of books. The first two books about the Jews in the first century. Magnificent. I've got... He starts in here and tells you why. Why they... Here's a section on prohibition of writing. They couldn't write down the traditionary law. I've run out of time. I wish I could explain this the way I want to. I don't know how to do it, but a little bit of time. I keep going back and resetting the the halakha of the Pharisees. Everything Jesus, he never said anything nice to the Pharisees. He was always rebuking them for their lies. They're twisting the word of God. Everything he said had to do with correcting them and telling, calling them children of the devil. You, 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 you compass sin, lend to make one proselyte. And after he's making, made you, make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. What does it mean, twofold? Well, they have to be converted out of the law before they can be converted to truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. I thank you for revealing these things to us. I try as hard as I can to express them to the people. I hope I'm, hope I'm getting the message over. What's going on in the world is a whole bunch of halakha from all the pulpits. Thank you for truth. The unvarnished truth. God will praise you for everything that you do. Everything. Lead us to your elect and fight our battles. In Christ's name, amen.